welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW, well, that's not actually accurate. Recorded at various <laughs> locations around the metropolitan New York uh, City area at an ungodly hour. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of The Fanatic, uh, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com, and you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't you forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes, and on social media, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And also, don't forget, you can leave us a rating or a comment, or uh, you can subscribe to the podcast, you can do all the things you can do with any regular podcast, uh, but please leave some comments, please let us know how we're doing, we love to get feedback. And I think we've gotten a few too, so thank you, thank you, thank you, leave us more. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, I noticed that we did have, I, I checked, and some of you have actually heeded our, our, yeah. our cries. And, uh, thank you, know, very, you. Thank you very much. Some very kind words. Uh, also, uh, continuing, like, you know, we hear you loud and clear. You don't like us talking about having to go to the bathroom in New York. <laughs> yes, no more talking so about the bathrooms and habits. Not to talk about that anymore. <laughs> All right. Oh so no, Heidi, much- you just did it. But anyway, listen, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, updates on, uh, various events. Uh, so San Diego, uh, now they had mentioned before that they were thinking of throwing a con in November and they actually announced a couple weeks ago, I think just after we did our last podcast, they announced that, uh, they were planning a three day show for the Thanksgiving weekend, for the Friday, Saturday and Sunday following Thanksgiving. Um, and this, uh, was met with cries of alarm and terror because people were like, you know, we want to go to San Diego Comic Con, but after, uh, nearly two years in, uh, quarantine we want to see our families for thanksgiving yeah. uh so a little conflict there even comic book nerds like to talk to their family from time to time and usually that time is thanksgiving exactly. so I, it's hard to kind of understand i mean i understand that there are no weekends left i mean that's i mean it's there are no weekends left when there isn't a pandemic but really thanksgiving really? Like it, i mean i'm really going to try and do this at some point, even if there's no other options, the option is so bad that it is totally pointless. So I think I understand their thinking a little bit more than most people just because I've spent so much time talking to David sure. Lancer and following this story. So I think a couple things are at play. I think that, A, they did not get good dates because I think that they – uh, you know, uh, you know, there's a big war, but let's say war, like, like the San Diego Convention Center does not give priority to San Diego Comic Con, oddly enough, because it's the biggest event by far in San Amazing. Diego. Amazing. So, you know, I think maybe instead of going to them and saying, uh, you know, do you want some dates? They were just like, you know, we got Thanksgiving. And, uh, there <laughs> is a history of Thanksgiving cons. Uh, you know, the big, there used to be the big New York con was Thanksgiving weekend, the big creation con when I was a kid. That's the one mm-hmm. I went to. But so, and I think honestly, they envisioned it as not, this is not going to be San Diego Comic Con. This is just a right. small local con that they're putting on to make some money to see their friends. And, uh, I think it got blown out because they put out another statement the next day explaining kind of what I just said. Like, yeah. oh, well, we mm-hmm. couldn't get any other dates. And yeah. we're still looking into it, uh, cause the reaction, was super duper negative, and oh, boy, I don't sure. think they're used to that. I, you know, I think um, I think that was a bit of a surprise. It was incredibly tone deaf. Yes. Well, it know. seems as though I mean, what they're trying to do is like basically a I mean a local San Diego con. I mean, just if you live in San Diego and you want to stop by, why not? Yeah, and I talked to a lot of people in LA, and I, you know, like, like literally everyone the next week was like, "Are you going to go to San Diego Con?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm probably going to go to Thanksgiving, but if it if it breaks my thirty thirty seven year streak of going to the con, then I don't know, maybe I got to go." Uh, you know, so um, <laughs> well, you've got a pretty good fucking street. I, I mean, <laughs> do, I do. But anyway, well, maybe you could take your parents along to San Diego. Yeah, so maybe you could. Would, really would your mom like to go? She probably might. She might. 
Uh, but, uh, I talked to a lot of people in L.A., and they were like, you know, hey, sure, uh, Friday after Thanksgiving, drive down to San Diego. Why not? Yeah. Well, that's, that's that that is true. Yeah. I don't know though, but 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 I understand that they're between a rock and a hard place. Uh, people want a, an in-person show if they can, if it's safe, um, and you know they're just trying to they're trying to work through an impossible situation. Yeah, exactly. However, there, there oh, comes a point at which you have to realize it's too impossible. Nothing's impossible. Uh, you could find if you only set your mind. Um, so, uh, well, Reed Pop didn't find it was so impossible because it, it, so there was this incredibly negative story on Hollywood Reporter uh, where they talked to people about this planned Thanksgiving con. I, I'll be honest, I've never seen so many anonymous people speaking out on any topic in Hollywood. It was just like, uh, you know, agents, I'm not going to go. Oh, I can't advise my clients to go. You know, it's just like, what are they thinking? And, you know, um, and then in this story, Reed Pop stealth announced that they were planning to have a hybrid event for New York Comic Con 2021. Yeah. They are planning to have an in-person event uh, mixed with an online event. And, hmm. uh, you know, uh, but they didn't announce announce. They just said, oh, yeah, it's going to be in person. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, I even I even missed it, and just recently started realizing that oh, they are planning this. So we will see. I mean, to me, this is a very cagey attempt to be able to something that they can cancel at the last minute. But uh, we will see. I mean, obviously, what's playing out in New York right now is, uh, you know, are we on an upswing, or is you know our new variants going to bring this whole um, house of cards down? Or will the vaccines make a difference? And I don't think anybody is really going to know until we hit the summertime. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, things are changing fast. Uh, you know, people are getting vaccinated very quickly. Yes. Um, you know, isn't this like something here in New York is like, you know, we're well over 50 percent here in New yeah. York. Uh, and rates are skyrocketing. So go figure. But yeah. um, <laughs> so, well, the U.K. variant made it here. So the people who aren't vaccinated. Well, yeah. Yeah, and we're getting different information, though. Uh, though, in my view, generally, um, uh, you know, decent, uh, you know, some decent information that, in fact, uh, the vac- the, the vaccine should work. Uh, yeah. If nothing else, it should prevent really the worst possible scenarios. Yeah. Um, uh, the information seems to be saying that if you get vaccinated, you're not going to go to the hospital probably, yeah. mm-hmm. which I and, mean, and much less die, which, yes. hey, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And they're we hospital- will see. Yeah. And yes, so we shall see. And, but I'm and New Yorkers saying, are really wearing masks too. They, so. they are. And I'll, but I'll say this. Um, I think when we have our first episode in June, it's going to be a very different situation. And I think I when think we so have too. our first episode in September, it's going to be a completely different situation. So I think this is very, very fluid. Um, and, uh, you, you know, we, we just cannot, now we, we can't foresee. Uh, now I will say Reed is very canny. I mean, they already have dates for C2E2 and Emerald City and they're the week after Thanksgiving and two weeks after Thanksgiving. So yeah, like, I mean, C2E2 is like December, isn't it? Yes. It's the weekend after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, me and some of my pals were saying, you know what, if that show happens, we'll consider going, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. if it's safe. Because yeah. um, I feel like, you know, not to harp on the thing that everybody hates us harping on, but, um, uh, you know, the Javits Center is a Petri dish. It's got those damn low <laughs> ceilings and it's, you know, the crowding is insane. But I mean, people always get sick there. Uh, whereas I feel McCormick Place is a much better designed building. It has high ceilings everywhere, like 20 foot ceilings everywhere. Uh, super well ventilated. And I would feel a lot, you know, I mean, I'm, yeah. I've had my first shot. I'm get, you know, I mean, I'll be fully vaccinated, but, um, you know, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. yeah. And on the same note, we can <clears throat> mention that what Uncle Lim uh, has has canceled its uh, projected in person event. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, I mean, th- th- which I mean, things seems to be things seem to really be um, uh, problematic in France right now. So, um, yeah, for not one- surprising. Yeah, I mean, Europe is keeps going in and out of lockdown, as Kate yeah. mentioned. The you know the the UK variant is wreaking havoc there. Uh, they had they did the online version, which Calvin, I know you participated in I back did. in mm-hmm. January, and then they were hoping to have a um, 
they were hoping to have an in-person event in June, you know, outside, nice balmy weather in the south of France, well, but it's not going to be possible. However, as Dean Simons, my continental correspondent, noted, they are doing a display of comics art on uh, various trains throughout France. So, that you know, oh, yeah, they're, they're recognizing, mm-hmm. yeah, they're recognizing the ninth art. So, yeah, there you go. Um, so, but there's many other cons. There's a lot of yeah. other con updates. Uh, run oh, what's some... this? Mocha is planning. So Mocha is also announced their cancellation, but they are next week, uh, just as we record this next week, uh, the week of uh, – oh, I don't have my calendar in front of me, but uh, next week as you listen. They're going to have an online event and uh, called Comics and Cartoon Art Week, and they have like a couple of panels each day. It's it's through throughout the week. Um, they, the one that I think everybody got excited about is Adrian Tomine, uh, in conversation with the Hernandez brothers. I know I'll be watching that. Oh, wow. That's great. Uh, and they have a lot of workshops. Uh, they have a spotlight on, uh, Kent State for dead. Um, and, um, try to see what else because, uh, they are, um, Man, we ran so many damn stories about conventions. Uh, I see also that LA, LA Comic Con was planning an in-person event and they have canceled that also. I just breaking news on the beat, not written by me. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, they'll have an event with Sean Martin, bro, a panel with him, uh, live drawing with John Cuneo, uh, let's make comics with Micah Song. Uh, so they have a lot of workshops, online mm-hmm. workshops. Uh, and just, you know, a couple of, uh, panels and, uh, awesome. That's so, that's cool. I mean, you know, we miss Mocha. Obviously we miss all of our shows, but, um. Now, did I see somewhere also that in, what is it, in 2022, they're planning to move to the Metropolitan Pavilion? Well, they did announce they would take place at the Metropolitan Pavilion. And, you know, I was trying to think, but they haven't been there before, right? No, no. And, and, but I, but I know the space, um, quite well. Well, we all do. I mean, they do have tons of events there, yeah. There's a lot of events there. PW did their, their rights fair there one year. And actually, uh, it's, I would say it's kind of a perfect, perfect for Mocha. Uh, I'm wondering because for really for the last few years, uh, Anel, I mean, the executive director at Mocha has said, you know, that there just aren't a lot of places, uh, that work for her, uh, for the festival. But I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe, um, you know, the prices are coming down all over New York for different Well, I, I do understand that it was the cost of the Metropolitan Pavilion mm-hmm. that uh, was prohibitive for MOCA in the past. Um, it is normally, I mean, they hold fashion events there. I mean, they mm-hmm. hold tons of events, but they're very yeah. high end. Uh, and, you know, MOCA, it's a comic show. It doesn't have mm-hmm. a huge budget. So, uh, yeah, that is would be my takeaway. Um, it's certainly comparable to the to the place that they were holding it, which I can't remember. Oh, but oh, you know, over on the far west side by the Intrepid, I think yeah. they're owned by the was, same people. To be honest, so is it really? Yeah, because it's yeah. an event space. It's it's really uh, right right near the Javits Center, as a matter of fact, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, but yeah, you know, that is uh, also um, Heroes Con announced that they are canceled. They were, you know, they they had it on the schedule for a long time because mm-hmm. we all hoped that by the summer. Things would be okay, and it's not okay. So they are canceled. Yeah, I mean, there's okay, and then there's running a convention okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So we're still looking October, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, maybe this New York Comic Con event. But like I said, they didn't really announce it. They yeah. just – And I think what – TCAF is actually going virtual – is going to do yes. another – Yes, No, every major – every yeah. major show uh, from now until October is um, – I'm – Pretty sure. I, I might be forgetting one or two. Uh, but if they aren't canceled y- yet, they will be. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of, that's pretty much, uh, true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All and, right. So, and hopefully, uh, when they do return, they will have really, really upgraded their bathroom facilities. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, uh, that's what we would hope. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, comics retail. So look, we've just published, um, our annual look at the comics retailers. Uh, Shannon O'Leary, of course, did a wonderful job as well. Uh, we talked to, I think there's about eight, uh, stores evenly split between, uh, direct market retailers and, um, uh, general trade bookstores that maintain large graphic novel sections. 
Um, it's very interesting because once again, <laughs> Shannon does a, did a, does a really good job of talking to the retailers out there. We publish a story and then there's a blockbuster news yeah. release that kind <laughs> of changes or, or, or certainly makes you reconsider almost everything that you, you, you thought you knew. Uh, in 2020, we published a, um, a retailer, um, survey that was you know, you couldn't be more upbeat about where the retail store year was going. Graphic novel sales were exploding. Kids, kids, uh, and YA stuff was off the hook. Manga was doing its thing. Uh, and then the, the pandemic hit. And, um, we, uh, this year, the, the, the Marvel, uh, Penguin Random House Publisher Services distribution blockbuster dropped, uh, just as we published. Uh, that, you know, I, I, that won't have quite the same devastating event, uh, uh, impact on the retailers, but certainly it's going to recalculate. And we're actually doing, it's not the same. And we're going to do a follow up. I mean, it's not going to be devastating either. It's not going to be devastating, but it's certainly going to make all of them, uh, uh, you know, think long and hard about how they stop. But Calvin, build, build what was the big yeah. what was the big takeaway from the survey? Uh, the big takeaway uh, from the survey is that um, you know stores, uh, uh, not surprisingly, struggled mightily to survive at all. Uh, that said, um, uh, the, the stores that these stores they hung on as best they could, doing everything they could. They saw an a, a, a an explosive acceleration of demand for manga. Kids uh, and YA graphic novels continue to grow. Uh, uh, backlist, including um, uh, periodical uh, uh, backlist, uh, was there was a lot of interest. Look, people want contents. We know that while physical stores were challenged uh, because of the lockdown restrictions, that did not mean that people weren't buying comics like was nobody's business. Um, comic shops, in particular, as opposed to uh, independent stores uh, faced uh, uh, a really troubling problem with the the shutdown of Diamond, as we well know. Um, uh, um, uh, although what you what I found, most of the retailers um, they were far more dismayed by DC's move to set up its own distribution system than they were by Diamond shutting down. In fact, many of the retailers were of the, and we talked about this at the time. They really didn't want any new material because they couldn't sell it. Yes, they couldn't that's get, true. Yes. Many yeah. people couldn't get to their stores. And as some of the retailers said, we we didn't want to be in a position of some stores in certain states being able to, who were able to stay open during the uh, pandemic, um, uh, getting material while, you know, in places like New York, for instance, Forbidden Planet, they who didn't have a to. website at first. To, to sell on were just hammered. I mean, they had a website, but they actually had because of their uh, unique situation. They had well, to shut yeah. Down. I, I mean, I think that is pretty universal. I mean, you know, you talk to Powell Books of the Strand. I mean, you talk to you know yes. two of the biggest independent bookstores in, in yes. you know the nation, and uh, you know they kind of had their own issues. I think. Yeah. But we also talk with with Brian. Yeah. You know, Brian Hibbs. We talk with with Cardi Angelo at Earth Two. Jeff Ayers here at Forbidden Planet uh, and Velocity Comics in Richmond, of right. Virginia. And, uh, in addition to the bookstores that you and, mentioned. Uh, you know, the one thing that, that really struck me about this survey, though, was um, the rise of manga. I mean, everybody yeah. said manga. And, you know, this yeah. is like the what you know perfect storm. Well, what's a good storm? Uh, perfect mm-hmm. cleansing wind. I don't know. But, uh, you know, in lockdown, uh, streaming has become huge. And streaming yes. has really been running a lot of anime. And Yeah. And, by the way, if you go on Humble Bundle right now, Oh, yes. uh, there's a huge streaming season of 2021 bundle where mm-hmm. you can get a massive there's amount a of, of manga and catch up. Ooh, yeah. 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 Um, but, but, you know, the streaming has, uh, the, you know, the wide prevalence of anime has sparked a wide interest in manga and, uh, it's doing gangbusters. I mean, it sounds like it's kind of come back to, uh, the, the, the boom old days of borders, yeah. you know? And I, I mean, it makes, you know, manga, what really struck me was that manga went through some, um, you know, after borders closed. I mean, there was definitely a huge, huge dip in manga sales. 
uh, and it just looks like it's really rebounded from that. It has right. rebounded and it dramatically. Wasn't, it wasn't just Borders. Borders was the last straw in a situation that also included the fact that at that time there was less anime on television. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact is that um, what draws people to manga who are not already reading it is anime. And once there's more anime available that has a manga, manga sales go up. And, yeah, and it was very interesting. One of the retailers said that, you know, immediately saying that, and, and just as you said, they said, generally people come in and erroneously refer to manga as, I want the anime. <laughs> or as he said, anything that has like 50 plus, you know, volumes in it. Um, <laughs> but that was a, an explosive seller, uh, really. I mean, virtually every retailer mentioned uh, an explosive increase in and, and I think and I think what's really interesting about that and um is that it I mean, you know, this is not gonna come as any shock to Kate or Calvin, uh but that manga is super um what's the word, accessible. You know? Yes. Like when people start because this is a whole new generation the first manga boom was more than 20 years ago yes okay? absolutely so this is the kids of those people or all new people and i mean you know we 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 talk so many times about you know the victory lap here of everything that calvin and i have been wishing for our whole careers and it's like yeah. um you know seeing manga so accessible so relatable so um so widespread uh is you know, guess what? If people like comics. That's they it's know. a yeah. whole generation that look, look. This is not to knock uh, superhero comics, but it's just, just a whole generation that wants something different, and that's fine. And um, manga is it, yeah, among other things. What well, came I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. What I was going to say is that when manga first came to the United States, what was mostly available was a very narrow window of what American publishers thought American manga readers wanted to read. But manga in Japan has always been aimed at a wide range of audiences, many of whom are not otaku. And so once American publishers got that, and once American readers got that, it became more accessible because it's designed to be accessible to a wide range of audiences. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And it's also, you know, when they adapt Attack on Titan, it really adapts the comics. And when they adapt all of these, One Piece, I mean, you know, you name it, it's just, I mean, it's not just like, but it's truly an adaptation of the manga. And, um, you know, I'm at, yes, yes, sometimes. Um, but what, you know, it's very close. I mean, I'm actually working on a story about, uh, you know, streaming of, uh, Occidental comics and, uh, you know, which ones have done really well. And I said it a million times, but when the show was based very closely on the comic, the comic sells like gangbusters. When it's yeah. pretty peripheral, maybe not as much. Right. I mean, it's, anime is closer to ma- to the mangas than most american quote unquote adaptations yes. of comics are let's put it that way it's a low bar to clear yeah mm-hmm. yeah but you know i uh, just uh, you know as we finish up with this this part of the segment i would like to talk uh, just mention real quickly uh the end of that article where they talked about what have they learned right. and um uh, liz mason at you know quimby's talk about creating a customized shopping experience whether in person or online. Um, and I also think it's interesting that Carr talks about, quote, unquote, I hear a lot about pivoting. It's important. But some of us like shops and don't want to become online warehouse business. So, you know, mm-hmm. his his point is how do we keep the local comic shop environment relevant? Support publishers that make my job easier, as he puts it. Uh, and let's see. What else am I saying? Uh, and I thought Jeff's. Jeff Ayers, uh, who, the, who, who manages Forbidden Planet, I thought he had a really poignant uh, response. Every day I come to work, I'm reminded that thousands of people keep our business going. People love this store and the products we sell. They created a GoFund campaign to help us and our, the responsibility that he feels to his customers. So, um, But in the end, you know, uh, I think uh, uh, Patrick Godfrey uh, mentioned, I think this guy from Velocity Comics, uh, you, you know, 
you need to connect directly with your com- customers and listen to them. That mm, is the key to society. Yes. 100%. So, um, so, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, power, you know, we've all come out of this stronger in some ways. Um, it's comic shops actually have become stronger in many ways. I mean, this was, you know, I, I did my own survey of a year later and, you know, so everybody had, had very similar things to say, but, um, about, you know, surviving the pandemic. Um, but, you know, speaking of, the big story that we're still dealing with the shockwaves still, of. For sure. Yeah, and will be for months and months to come. Uh, so Brian Hibbs did wrote his, his column, uh, for the beat about the PRH deal. And it was, um, one of his novellas. Uh, it was 4,000 plus words. So you <laughs> might not have read the whole thing. And I'll say a lot of it was actually just an explanation of how the direct market works, you know, mm-hmm. how it works with discounts and ordering. It's actually a nice little primer if you, you don't know how direct, direct sales work. I- I almost wish that there had just been a link to a previous explanation of his of how it works so that the rest of us who already know that could have – but never mind. <laughs> so I – so Kate, that's a, actually a brilliant observation and um, I'm actually going to suggest that to Brian next time he – That he just that. writes a, a like boilerplate one that he can link to every yeah, time. that's, that's Brian. how – Brad doesn't do abridged versions, but go on. No, he doesn't. I, <laughs> no, I mean, not abridged, just I, a, I, a long version. I, I hear you, though. I, hear you. I, yeah. I agree that the article might have been a bit stronger without the, <laughs> without the, um, you know, lesson on how the dam works. But anyway, he kind of said, uh, you know, what I'd been saying, which is, and Calvin, I don't, I don't think we'd actually talked about this last time when this news had broken, but it's really, you know, there was a story on ICV2. Where he'd obviously talk to someone at Random House and, uh, you know, cause I think last time we were like, why? Why is Random House doing this? And the answer is they want to invest in the future. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I will, I will support that interpretation from my sources. Um, uh, every indication that I have, have gotten in my reporting on this is that, and I'm going to frame this in my, uh, in my perspective. Um, it's not just about the, the comics periodical. That is an important thing, obviously. Um, they're, you know, they're distributing, uh, the comics periodicals of one company, though certainly an important company. Uh, uh my understanding is that, uh, Pringle Random House Publisher Services see a network of stores, uh, that are underserved and have great potential for growth. If they get the right kind of support mm. that I really do say that, I mean, comic shops sell more than periodicals and yes. they're, yeah. uh, and, and a, a vendor has entered this that has an enormous range that sells books. That's, in some cases, you know, books that there, these stores are already selling because comic shops sell books too. Uh, and they're making enormous, um, Investments in technology uh, to to create a state of the art distribution service that can grow this sector. Uh, in my view, and this is just my speculation, uh, beyond uh, what we think of a comic shop can do. Yeah, and one specter that was brought up in the article was the possibility that this is just replacing one monopoly with another. And, I mean, that wouldn't be great. But I'm not convinced it is because Penguin Random House may be coming in and sweeping up the big boys. But there are other publishers and there may be other people who see money in this market. I don't think we should we should write off other distribution options just yet. I think that this Mm. could be invigorating to the market. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's yeah, absolutely. And and Calvin, just to follow up on what you said, uh, I think you know I've another one of my mantras. I hope I'm not just repeating my greatest hits here, but I I have said this all along. You know that um, if you view comic shops as a network of two thousand independent bookstores you, every, who buy on a non-returnable basis, you'd be an idiot not to want to get into that market, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I've always, uh, uh, along with you, I've always felt that comic shops are especially bookstores. Yes, and, yes. And need to, they and are. Need to look at There's no question. Now. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think PRH 
uh, sees that. And, you know, indie, look, this is the brain on Dave Pilkey generation as well. Indie bookstores are selling tons of kids' comics. Uh, comic shops are selling kids' of kids comics. So they're, they, you know, the, the gap is, is narrowing. I, I they have do... been selling tons of kids' comics since I worked at Barnes and Noble be- long before this podcast ever existed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, I think one thing we have to keep in mind also is that Diamond isn't going away. Uh, yeah. Their yeah. role in this is will is becoming more like a wholesaler in that that in the sense that they have they will be able to have comics. They will be able to buy Marvel's comics at a wholesaler discount. Now, I don't know what that wholesaler discount will be, but you know, comic shops who have always ordered books from uh, Diamond will continue to be able to do so. And I would imagine um, if there is a wholesaler discount, it, it will be a discount that is calculated to be able to give Diamond uh, uh, some profitability. I have actually heard this as well that, you know, uh, PRH is not looking to kill Diamond. No. Oddly they enough. Absolutely or not. They absolutely are not, and that they are going to give terms to Diamond that is going to enable them to be, uh, you know, competitive as a wholesaler. Um, and Which means uh, other people could possibly enter the business if there's some distributor out there, excuse me, a whole, uh, some entity out there that wants to be a wholesaler as well. Who knows? That's what the, the, the direct market is all, or or uh, uh, customers of the direct market have always said. How come more, we don't have more competition? Well, maybe you will. Yeah. So one other thing that Brian, little tid, tidbit that he dropped this column that was that he had heard that several of the uh, premier publishers, uh, their exclusive contracts with Diamond have lapsed, and indeed, the very next day. Uh, ICV2, our friends at ICV2, Milton Grief, ran a story, uh, that in a SEC filing, IDW noted that their exclusive deal with Diamond had expired and that they were just, uh, you know, carrying on business under, uh, you know, the terms of their old agreement, but they don't actually have an agreement. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I've, t- I'm told that that actually applies to several other, um, publishers, premier publishers. And, uh, you know, it could even be that, uh, Marvel and, uh, DC had lapsed contracts. Maybe that's why they were so able to blithely, um, you know, skip away. Uh, but. Well, I, mean, I think that's the case in both cases. Yeah. Their, yeah. their no. contracts were, le- were ending. Yes. And Jen, you know, Jen Haynes, uh, newly elected head of Comics Pro, uh, she did an interview, uh, on, on Sketch with David Harper, which I haven't listened to, but I saw people talking about it. And apparently on that interview, she says that she was on, she, you know, she's been on the phone with Pregnant Random House and that this deal has been in the works for a year. Uh, they were extremely well prepared for it. And, you know, Brian is quite often, uh, a moody doomsayer about this stuff, but even he <laughs> says he has no doubts working with Penguin Random House. They are an exemplary company, and they are great to do business with. This is one of the most dynamic distributors in the world. They're they're biggest. They have more accounts than anybody. Everyone's you know, believe people are dying to get in their stable. Yeah. Uh, but and we should remember, and we and we talked about just as you talk about these premier publishers, many of these premier publishers. Have their book format comics are distributed to the book trade by um, a Penguin Random House, and though we don't know, uh, although we've I've, I've heard some, some some sources that they are not certainly aggressively looking to add new periodical uh, clients to their list. Many of their book publishing, book distribution clients, Dark Horse, IDW, uh, I'm you know I'll, yeah. there yeah. are others. Yeah. Um, it's hard to imagine that somewhere down the line they won't want um, periodical distribution yes. from Penguin Random House. As so, well. uh, yes, another hundred percent. And uh, you know, this deal doesn't take place until October. So let's give them yes. a few months to shake down crews. Uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. it'll be a while. I think at this time next year, uh, in a year's time, we'll be talking about uh, who the new clients at Penguin Random House are, if there's a comics industry, which there will be. There um, will be. And let's remember uh, also. They are building a state-of-the-art facility state-of-the-art to do this, facility. and I cannot believe that they're going to just go with oh, one client no, after they've no, built a state-of-the-art no. facility. So, so and, and, you know, like in my follow-up story, which I, I wrote after uh, we had spoken last time, but yeah. it's just, you know, this is like validation 
validation of the truest kind, econ- you know, investment. Like well, ERH yes. sees yes. The money to be made and they are investing. Because you know what? Just like manga bounced back, you know, the periodical has been dying. The floppy has been dying. Now, I'm not saying the periodical is necessarily going to be the premier format of comics again. I don't think that's possible. But who knows? Maybe it could be more robust. Yeah, maybe, maybe it will. be more robust. But I, I think, think it could have a lot less Deadwood, too. Mm-hmm. But I do believe beyond the periodical, uh, this could be a boon for the direct market as simply an, a, ch- a retail channel for comics of all kind and beyond what indie bookstores do, uh, pop culture merchandise. Yes, absolutely. So this is a huge part absolutely. of what the direct market does. Yes, yes. So there's so. a lot more to come. Now, you know, uh, one thing I've been wondering is what is, what about Diamond? And, uh, so I reached out to some of my sources. Uh, and no word, no smoke signals, nothing. Like there is, uh, just business as usual there. No, no hot goss coming out of, uh, Baltimore, you know, the Baltimore offices. So, um, you know, waiting for that the other shooting to drop denial. there. Yes, it does, but you yeah. know, uh, we'll see. I mean, there's uh, definitely more to come on that. Oh yeah. All right. Um, well, you know, this is a, um, an, an interesting case because a, a book that actually has been announced, much anticipated, um, the continuation of a, of a huge, uh, uh, memoir series bestseller, uh, is back in the news. John Lewis, the late, uh, John Lewis, an icon of, uh, the civil rights movement, a longtime a congressperson, uh, who, uh, passed away in 2020. Um, uh, his March trilogy, um, uh, the first uh, what National Book Award-winning graphic mem- memoir, uh, a history of his life and of the civil rights movement. Uh, we were uh, he was uh, it was a, a a continuation of it was announced in 2018 called Run, uh, which would, was to look at his career uh, after his street activism and when he decided to run for Congress. It was announced in 2018. Uh, it went through a series of delays. Uh, some of the creative team has changed, but it is back on track. It's planned to be published, uh, in August, uh, 2021. Um, once again, it is written by, co-written by his longtime collaborator, co- collaborator and, co- and his former congressional, congressional staffer, Andrew Iden. Uh, it will be illustrated by Nate Powell, who illustrated, uh, March, the March trilogy. Uh, and now we have a new artist, El Fury. Uh, I'm not that familiar with the artist, but the work looks uh, quite good, what I've seen online. Uh, uh, El Fury is actually taking over from a Ford Richardson, who was originally announced as the artist. And uh, so all I can say is that this is an exciting moment. Uh, March has sold millions of copies. Uh, it's it documented. Not only the extraordinary life of John Lewis, but just the the, uh, uh, the power and the scope of the uh, civil rights movement in, in this great medium that we love. So this is an exciting development. It's good to hear that the book is coming, and I expect it to be just as big a bestseller as March. Yeah, it's really interesting that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people spent uh, their pandemic finishing up some long gestating works. We're seeing a lot of books that have been long delayed actually coming out in 2021. Uh, Run is certainly one of them. It was announced with great fanfare at a book expo back in 2018. I still have my little ash cans because uh, that artwork will never be seen again. Uh, but uh, also Alison Bechdel's new book is coming out. I think yes. that last time. Uh, Monster by Barry Windsor Smith. That's been in the works for about 20 years. That's coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. A new book from R. K. Q. Johnson. He hasn't had yes, come out since, since like 2006 or something. So yeah, there's a lot of people, um, you know, but had nowhere to go, so they worked. That's a uh, commendable. Yes, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, that's that's really exciting to hear that. And this is coming out from Abrams Comics Art. Um, yes. Uh, run book one coming out in August 2021. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, from a really great story to a really not great story. So, uh, more details have emerged. Uh, now that Justice League, the Snyder Cut, is finally released and, and it turned out to be pretty good. Um, uh, Kate, have you seen it yet? Yes, Heidi. Remember, I did a whole yeah. thing saying okay. to you guys that I saw it? 
Yes. Okay. Well, I I can't. You know, I talked about it with so many people. Yes. Yes. We talked about it. I saw. I remember you and were watching it. Yes. Believe me, on your commute. Yes, you talked about it. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it. uh, But for those listeners who missed the last uh, group episode, um, I I thought it had many strong points, but it was. It had many strong points, but it was self-indulgent as far as yeah. I was concerned. Yeah, yeah you so, weren't as happy as, with yeah. it. As so, uh, but um, there was anyway. So, but the story has continued of Ray Fisher, who played um, who played Cyborg in the film, and you know his role is much restored in the Snyder Cut uh, as opposed to the uh, Justice League version. And he, you know, he's been saying that there was malfeasance and he was the victim of racism on the part uh, and very bad abusive behavior by Joss Whedon on the set. Uh, he wasn't the only cast member who was treated badly by Whedon. He also says Jeff Johns, the uh, head of DC Films, uh, the producer, mm-hmm. uh, treated him poorly. And uh, that Walter Hamada, who is currently head of DC Films, uh, had kind of enabled this. And well, he's kind of been kind of vague, but he finally came out and did kind of his tell-all interview in The Hollywood Reporter with uh, the great Kim Masters. Uh, really yes. Best it's a phenomenally reported it's piece. It's a really, really, it's just a model of how to report on these things. And, um, yeah, well, I will say this, uh, Joss Whedon, you are over. Cause yeah, he's done. Uh, you he, stick a fork he, like, in him. Threatened to, um, threaten Gal Gadot. Yes. To, to, to wreck Wonder Woman 84 if she didn't do as he said on the set and, you know, and then he, you know, there's this whole thing about getting Cyborg to say booyah, which Gray Fisher thought wasn't really in character, even though the character does say it on Teen Titans. On TV, but yeah. Children's cartoon. Right. That's children's cartoon characterization. And it's then like, course- it's why we don't have scenes with all of them eating pizzas as large as their heads at top speed. I mean, it's, it's kind of a different media. <laughs> and and then there's a whole notion that uh, um, uh, 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 the studio accusing Fisher of being manipulated by Snyder these days as if the only way that he would want to do this, that stand up for his own self, uh, would be if some white dude was pulling the strings behind him. I mean it's just one really – Shocking. Um, well, we we knew a lot of this, yeah. in, uh, Basically, but we, we learned a lot more uh, in this article. How, how dare a black person uh, be on good terms with someone else kicked off the production? It must be collusion, I tell you. Yes, how dare a, a black person stand up for their part, their role, when, unless they were being manipulated by some white person? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just dreadful and you know i'll say this he I mean, wouldn't we, have ideas on his own no lady. no of course of course of course we're being so sarcastic because this we is are just, obviously mean, but but, but it, i just you know i mean whedon's behavior as reported alleged behavior yeah. is just over totally over the top and he is you know if any and you know gal they asked gal godot and she just uh. said i spoke with i've had i've had my say uh which is a you know she's so nice i think that was um pretty harsh statement from her uh given the circumstances but um you know I, i'll say this uh, you know john's uh rep does speak of the story and he's like uh you know remember uh jeff is uh you know a lebanese american and his wife is uh <laughs> yeah. Asian, and his child is mixed race and you know his first wife was african-american was black and I think when you start pulling out and when you start wrapping yourself in your relationships in that way, it really does not um, – it doesn't enhance your reputation. I'll leave it at yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'd like to point also the, uh, the stand-up um, uh, response by Jason Momoa as well, uh, who made it clear that there was a whole lot of manipulation going on of everyone there. And 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 they yeah. and they all spoke up in to, in support of Ray Fisher. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, about Jeff Johns, you don't actually have to be a racist to enable racists around you. And it's a different thing to be an enabler, but not being a racist doesn't mean you're not an enabler. But I I think I you know, I'm not I'm not going to be an apologist uh, for that's you not know, an Jeff, apologist. No, I'm not yeah. apologizing for Jeff Johns. I will say. Most of his behavior to me just comes under uh, real tone deaf cluelessness. Yes, uh, and I'm disappointed. Um, and I hope he does better in the future. 
So it, it, yeah. it, it, the, the disappointment is uh, it overwhelming. If yeah. you read this article, and I'll tell you, once you start reading it, you can't stop. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's really amazing. And I, and I just want to just say that Ray Fisher said this stuff. All of this stuff could have uh, and has to some extent, at least originally, affected his career. Oh, yeah, and, it has. And, oh, it has very um, negatively. And it's man. really amazing that a, this film was essentially built around his character. And Whedon came in and took out everything to do with the black characters, putting them back. Now, I mean, we can disagree about uh, 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 what we think of the movie, but for me, uh, you know, for whatever reason you want to uh, uh, take it, that this was really the, the heart of the movie, and restoring no it really argument. made a huge difference. No argument yeah. on that. Yeah, hundred percent. There was some. There were a lot of things that could have been cut, and that was not one of them. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, there is another story that just came out today uh, with the screenwriter, Chris Terrio, and he also kind of hates with the studio. And he says, uh, I just read the beginning. Uh, he says he described the films that Warner Brothers released to theaters in 2016 and 2017 as incoherent misfires undermined by corporate meddling. Poor mm. franchise planning and tone deaf decisions that yeah. prioritize costly vi- visual effects over coherent storytelling. Uh, it's a very long article. I say like I haven't read it. Oh, you know, there's one, one really salty detail, uh, in, uh, the Ray Fisher interview that has uh, really captured people's imaginations, uh, uh you know, re- which is that, uh, uh, Regé Jean Page. Uh, uh, Renee Jean Page. Reg, you're right. Reggie, right. yes, I, but I am mispronouncing it. Uh, but anyway, we all know him from Bridgerton. Oh, do we know him from Bridgerton? Oh, yes. Yes. Great. Yes, he's, he's great. He's hot. He's charismatic and everybody loves <laughs> he's him. He's a really good actor. Yeah, he's a very good actor. Yes. And he actually had auditioned for a role in Krypton. Uh, as Superman's grandfather, but, uh, Jeff Johns supposedly said that they couldn't do it because Superman could not have a black, uh, peepaw, yeah. a black grandfather. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and his reason <laughs> and I mean, for that was saying, you know, he should, he's Henry Cavill. Uh, yeah. And listeners, if you haven't, if you haven't seen this man, he's very <laughs> light skinned. He could definitely have a grandson who looked like Henry Cavill. No yeah. problem. And, and uh, you know, like uh, Paige made a lot of headlines this week but because he's not coming back to Bridget's second season. Right, I, I read and, that, know, yeah. Look, there is uh, uh, the competition to see which superhero franchise is going to get him. Uh, yes. as fierce, you know, Black, there's a lot of talk about him <laughs> during the Black Panther franchise. Uh, but, there's uh, noise about him being Bond, although he's poo-pooed yes. it. Yes, but uh, he, you know, so I'm pretty sure it won't be DC unless there's a swerve. But he did. Yeah, no. <laughs> he did tweet. I don't know if you guys saw his tweet uh, after all this, and he said, "Hearing these, con- hearing about these conversations hurts no less now than it did back then." Mm-hmm. I the can clarifi- imagine. Clarifications almost hurt more, to be honest. Yeah. Still, just doing my thing. Still, we do the work. We yeah. still fly. And, and if I could Aww. just add that, look. Whatever you might think of him playing that character, uh, you know, we're, this is a, we're in a, a, a narrative that's about, you know, alien beings traveling through space and, <laughs> but, but it's, it's too outlandish to think of, of someone, uh, a mixed race guy playing, uh, the grandfather of an alien being. I mean, it really boggles the mind that you can't come up with a creative way to justify that so you don't uh, you don't even need to do anything they literally are cr- genetically engineered and created in matrixes yeah it, it, it's just un- unbelievable and but. even if they didn't give him that role the entire show you have this man up just, for a role and you don't use him just get him in there <laughs> you know okay yeah get him in there yeah <laughs> get him in there i mean you're, you know your misguided notions of what's plausible in like Ugh. you know completely implausible stories anyway and, is yeah. ridiculous. But even with Earth genetics, it would make sense. Yeah, but you know, I I, yeah. I mean, look, it's just nutty. You, you guys, another thing I say, another Heidi serum. I gotta just give, list these and I say them over and over again. But uh, you know, the at the Warner Studios, Warner Media, they just don't understand how to make superhero films. They just oh, that, don't understand cool. it. And you know, I think Walter Hameda, who who doesn't, he he covered up for sure. 
you know, uh, but it that sounds like more sins of omission than commission, but you know, not, not, didn't cover himself in glory and Fisher's telling, no. uh, you know, he's got a little bit better handle. Uh, so we're seeing some better movies. Now, you know, we didn't have this on our story list, but I, I, I want to just compare and contrast a little bit, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm. So, uh, Trace Laxon, uh, my entertainment editor who, uh, is, um, Asian American, she wrote a really, she loves Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but she wrote mm. a really great story for the beat about how in the last episode they went to Madripoor, which is a country in, uh, like Singapore, which is right. in Asia. Yeah, uh, I it's think supposed it's, to be like, it's very much like Singapore or Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, uh, yeah. there are no Asians. Yet there are no Asians. There are no Asians. How? And so that was uh, pretty yeah. You know, I think. Why do they do this? Well, I think, because Madripoor is a den of thieves and, you know, iniquity. I think they were trying to not be like, you know, stereotype Terry of the Pirates type shit. But um, yeah. I think it, it backfired badly. Right. I mean, um, quite frankly, you could, given if you've ever seen the multiracial population of Singapore, <sighs> um, you could have. Uh, sketchy people of all races there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If it's evil Singapore, which it is. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny because, uh, sometimes you can't win, but, um, cause I think if they had had evil Asians, then there would have been. I, company. I, I think having a wide variety of evil people, yes. including evil Asians, makes a lot more sense and is a lot less offensive than we're still setting there, this in a country no in Asia, Asians. and there well, are no Asians. There. I agree. I 100 percent agree. Come but on, now, don't uh, they? They shouldn't have sent. If they were that dead set on not having any Asians, they shouldn't have said it in Madripoor. Yeah. yeah. What about the Azores? I mean, come on. Does anybody even know where the Azores are? Um, make so, up an island. Make up an island. But what you know? But I do want to contrast. You know, this is a misstep. I mean, Therese loved the episode. Otherwise, yeah. although this is you know, and she's not the only one who stupid. noticed. But uh, you know, Marvel. This. This just to back up the uh, Eurocentric nature of this episode, uh, you know, brought back Baron Zemo, played by Daniel Bruhl, who's a, a European actor of German and Spanish, uh, you know, heritage. And uh, they threw in this one second clip of him dancing in a disco. And it just, you know, if you recall uh, uh, Captain America Civil War, you might recall that Baron Zemo was a terrorist mastermind who killed King T'Chaka to frame it on Bucky. I mean, he's bad. He's a bad he's dude. He's a bad dude. But suddenly he was lovable and cute and dancing in the disco. And this one second clip went, you know, viral, insanely viral. And uh, then he revealed in an interview, he dropped that there was more scenes of him dancing. And then people went on Twitter and said, release the Zemo cut. Okay, and today, like you know, it's a joke. But you know what Disney did today? They released all the scenes edited together on Twitter. Uh, they made a one-hour loop cut with you know disco music, and uh, you know, I think they get it. I think they yeah. get how to. I, I missed this, but I'm going to make it a point to, to check it out. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, talk about understanding your audience for um, sure. Yeah, I think they had that ready to go. <laughs> I think they absolutely had that ready there to go. There you go. Well, all or right. Or at least someone in the back room did. Yeah. Yeah, well, I th I, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I think, I think Baron Zemo, and you know, it's just, it's very Euro trash, if you excuse the expression. It's just, you know, <laughs> like, I'm just going to live it, listen to the Eurovision Song Contest after this, you know? It, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's very Ibiza, let's put it that yes. way. Yes, it's Ibiza <laughs> to the core. <laughs> They should have set it in Ibiza if they just wanted it to be Europeans. <laughs> All right, folks, we're running out of time yeah, here. So time. Shall we get? Shall we get a brief or two in? And why not? So, dear listeners, it is time, as ever, for the briefs. So, uh, Tubi, the free streaming service run by Fox, has added anime. Um, to be absolutely honest, I have never heard of these anime, except for one. But that's okay, because they're free. So that free, means free, that, free, they will, that they will free, be free, getting free, an, free. They will be getting an audience that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. So actually, it may be a very clever way uh, to publicize some anime that 
otherwise might not have gotten a lot of traction in the United States. Um, titles are going to be brought through a partnership with Shout Factory and include uh, Satoshi Khan's Millennium Actress, the only one of these I've heard of, Liz and the Bluebird, and In This Corner of the World. Um, so keep your eye out on Tubi. You don't have to pay for a membership. Ah, yes, here's the full list. Uh, Machia, Where the Promised Flower Blooms, Penguin Highway, The Wonderland, Sound Euphonium, and Hikaira-san. Uh, Danton. Oh, yeah, Danton laughing under the clouds. There we go. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of shows that are not well-known in America, but they're going to be coming to you free. So tune in, everyone. Do they have a manga component? Um, are no. they based on manga? Okay. Well, I mean, are they based on manga? Oh, I thought you meant does Tubi contain manga and Tubi is strictly video. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they based on manga? Well, I've never heard of most of these, so I'm not sure. Um, sorry about that, listeners. I, I don't know everything. Um but based on a manga, uh, <laughs> speaking of manga, Attack on Titan. So, Hajime Isayama, the creator, has turned in the final manuscript on March 30th. But mm-hmm. it will not be released until June 9th in its final volume. So, this means that it is ripe for spoilers, which they are not having any of. Oh, no. So instead of waiting for the attempts at spoilers uh, and then trying to bring down the legal band hammer on them, instead they are attempting preemptive legal action. Um, basically, um, they have uh, – they, they're being mysterious about what it is, but they say, we've begun to take legal action against several accounts and individuals, and we are taking measures against illegal uploads of images and texts, regardless of country. So they are poised, poised for the flood of spoilers. Um, now be good now. Don't spoil it, or the big bad mangaka may come after you. Wow, yeah. this is who, like who would um, possibly want to do that? You but, know, yeah. they did they Everyone. they did this with the last issue yeah, of yeah. Preacher. I was working at DC then, just aside, and they were like, you know, hiding it from everybody else in the office so we wouldn't see how it ended. So you know, uh, there's a little precedent for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not like. Hey, not let's figure it. out Maybe which pirates and which spoilers will try to yeah. spoil it ahead of time and go after them first. Um, it shows real dedication. So, points there. So, one thing we didn't bring up when we were speaking of online conventions is something a little tangential but interesting. E3, Electronic Entertainment Expo, um, which is primarily gaming, although deeply geek-adjacent, um, is going to be an online show this year again. And uh, they've been suffering financially through the pandemic because, well, they're a convention. Um, And they've also been struggling because there was a scandal in 2019 after uh, (laughs) they accidentally doxxed a bunch of attendees. Um, That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, Thousands of people's private information got leaked accidentally, oopsie-doopsie, and so they probably wouldn't have had that many attendees in 2020 anyway, but um, I guess people have decided to rally around the flag because they want to make sure E3 is around uh, come the end of the pandemic. So Nintendo, Xbox, Capcom, Konami, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, and Warner Brothers have all committed to participating and sponsoring the event. So um, points to them. It will be taking place uh, June 12th through June 15th. And um, that's some welcome news on the digital convention front. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. And with that, 
I think we've reached the the end of another episode. Come to the end of our road, yeah. But please, (laughs) uh, you know, leave us some more comments. Leave us some more comments. Uh, We just love uh, love reading them, and uh, you know, we will be here. And thank you for the kind words; it's so appreciated. Um, And I guess uh, that's it. Uh, But there will be more to come.